Amen, church. Go ahead and take a seat for me this morning. Thank you, worship team, and thank you for being with us. Are you, are you happy to be in God's house this morning? It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day to be in, in here to worship together. If you are tuning in uh, online, Facebook, YouTube, we want to say welcome to you. If this is your first time, you're a guest or visitor with us, either here or online, uh, we love that you're with us. We want to thank you for being here, but we also want to encourage you to fill out a communication card on the, either the Church Center app or in the communication, uh, the, the, um, the comment section link uh, right under where you're watching. That would be amazing. We want to know that you're here and that you have the information you need to be a part of what's going on in and around our ministry. My name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor here at the Church of Newtown Road, and I am happy to be in God's house this morning. Um, I've got a couple quick announcements. First of all, pray for Pastor Matt as he is preaching this week at Sacandaga Bible Conference. Um, so that's a cool opportunity for him. Uh, we love that place, and we get our family gets to go and be a part of what's happening this week as well. So you can lift us up in prayer. That's amazing. Um, I've got a cool announcement for, uh, for Sunday mornings, and that's this. No more need to pre-register. Yes. Good, good. I was hoping. I paused for that cheer. If you wouldn't have, it would have been awkward. Um, so there's no need to pre-register on Sunday mornings for the service that you'd like to be at, but we do ask that you still stop by the registration table as there will be a master list of people. We'll check you in as you come in just to make sure we remain safe um, and, uh, and, and according to protocol and guidelines like that. That would be wonderful. Because this summer is so different than other summers, um, uh, one of our biggest events and outreach opportunities that our students do each year, partnered with other churches, going out into our community, is called Invert. Um, and because of everything happening this summer, uh, one of the, oh, I, I hate it, but Invert, as we know of Invert, won't happen, Right? And we understand that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of grace and understanding in those types of things. However, we are really excited about uh, an event that we're putting on during the same dates that Invert was supposed to for grades 9th through just graduated. So 9th through 12th grade, rising 9th graders, and we're calling it Serve Weekend. And instead of going out all over the communities, we're breaking up into service project teams, and we are serving our church over those three days doing, doing um, uh, work projects, mission projects right here at our church, spread out all over the grounds. And I would like, number one, to let you know that registration is open for that, for grades 9 to 12. It's going to be an awesome three days. Uh, but second of all, please pray for us. August 6th through the 8th are those dates, and we're looking forward to coming together having a great time, uh, ministering to each other, but also serving our church. What, a, what an opportunity our students have to be involved and engaged in our local church by doing things like picking weeds and painting. Um, but there's a bigger picture there. There's a bigger picture, and they're a part of something bigger than themselves, and I think it's an amazing thing. So please pray for us, and then register if you haven't done that already. Uh, and then I want to thank you again, church, for your continued faithfulness in giving. If you'd like to give this morning with your tithes and your offerings, you can do that on the way out in those boxes along uh, the wall right beside the doors. Um, so again, thank you for that. You, you guys have been an inspiration to us as a church, and God has been blessed because of that. Um, 
I'm going to hand it over this morning to Chad Thompson, uh, who is going to bring the word to you this morning. And we are, aren't we blessed to have someone like Chad on our team? Thank you. All right, good morning, everyone. We are actually going to pick up in our study through the book of Mark this morning. So please turn to the book of Mark, chapter 9. And I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive on in. Father, good morning. Thank you for allowing your church to assemble together. Lord, I pray for uh, those that are assembling around uh, um, devices uh, away from here. Thank you for the ability to do so. Lord, I pray that you would put to rest the distractions of, of this morning, of yesterday, of the week, be, the week behind us, and even the week ahead of us, that we could hear from you. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that, Lord Jesus, you would empower your word this morning. Allow us to hear it. Allow us to act upon it. And please bring it to remembrance this, this week as we uh, go through our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think it's fitting for us to, uh, to kind of review where we've been because Pastor Matt took us uh, through a topical study on the, on the essential nature of the church over the last three Sundays. So it's almost been a month since we've been in the book of Mark. And so I invite you with your, with your Bible open just to turn a page or two over and just kind of look at the headings that are within the chapter or for each chapter. You're going to see, and I hope that we see throughout our study of the book of Mark, that the Holy Spirit is purposely piecing it together. He's building upon lessons. He's building upon situations and events that the disciples and Jesus find themselves in. He's building upon daily life, ultimately pushing towards that pinnacle moment of human history, namely his sacrifice on the cross and his subsequent resurrection just three days later. But again, just looking a, a page or two in the past, we see that we kind of hit a high point, at least in the book of Mark, uh, about a month ago or so, where Jesus was asking the disciples, who do men, who do people say that I am? And, and you know, it was kind of all over the place. And then he narrowed it down to them individually and said, but who do you say that I am? And there we get kind of Peter's crowning moment. He says, well, you are the Christ. And, and our Lord says, well done, well done, because this was given to you. This was shown to you. But then, again, kind of follow just in, 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 the, uh, in the sections after that, Jesus goes on and he foretells of his death. And it's something that doesn't jive well, and Peter blurts out, no, 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 no Lord, this is not going to happen. And what are Jesus' words to Peter? Get behind me. You're not going to obstruct me. Okay, so kind of a high moment and a low moment. And I don't know about you, but I've seen that in my, my life. I go from a high to a low real fast. And I'm like, oh, man, what did I miss? What's going on? Okay, then again, this is the introduction. This is our background. We get into chapter 9. And a handful, just a few of the disciples are selected to go up on the mountain with Jesus. It was Peter, James, and John. And up on this mountain, Jesus is transformed figured in, in front of them. He actually starts glowing. 
and they find themselves in a cloud. And then they wake up, and, and Jesus is talking with two guys. And Peter says, hey, it's good for us to be here. And you're like, yes, yes, very good, very good, Peter. Captain Obvious there, right? They come down the mountain. They have a, a kind of a Q&A uh, period with Jesus. And they come across a boy that has a demon. For his father has brought them to the disciples to deliver him of this demon, but they can't. Remember that? And Jesus has to step in, and he said, this type come out through prayer and fasting. Again, those, that's the context in which we jump back into our study of the book of Mark. So join me, please, and we're going to read just the seven verses that we have this morning. Uh, or eight verses, I should say, uh, that we have this morning to give us some context, to get our feet wet, and to help us to remember where we're at. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 is where we will begin. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed... After three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone be, would be first... He must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All right. Going back to the beginning of this section for us, beginning in verse 30, we see and we read that Jesus is moving through the Galilee, the northern regions, north of Jerusalem at least, okay? And he's on his way ultimately to Jerusalem. He has his face set. He doesn't want to be hindered. Look at what it says. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples He's going down to Jerusalem to be that atoning sacrifice. This is his mission. This is why he came. He doesn't want to be hindered by the crowds. How have the crowds hindered him? Well, as a compassionate, good shepherd, he's provided for them food. He's healed them. He's listened to them. But this is a special time, especially in the book of Mark, for Mark often refers to Jesus as a teacher, but he seldomly discusses what Jesus actually teaches. And Mark is going to do it in a typical Mark way. He's going to be very quick. It's going to be very staccato. He's going to hit it and move on. So we have to pay attention. Jesus does not want to be hindered. He wants this alone time just with his disciples. I think we need to stop and pause there follower of Jesus Christ, there are times in life when Father wants to push you off to the side to get you alone to teach you something specific. Take that time. Don't be like me and want to run off to the next thing. 
oh, I got to get here and do that. There are times when he's holding you back, COVID, and he's saying, and he's saying, pause here. I have something to say to you. Listen intently. It will probably not jive well. We, we just read it. The disciples aren't going to understand what he's talking about. But sit at his feet and listen. Okay, okay. That was actually in my notes, but that's not one of our major points this morning. And he says to them in verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. He's going to be delivered. I've entitled this section here in verses 30 through 33, Godly Humiliation. He's going to show us what it means to be servant of all. He's going to humiliate himself in obedience to his father. This is the crowning achievement of his mission. This is godly humiliation. This is the second time, just in the last chapter or so, that he foretells of his death and his resurrection. Each time the disciples don't get it. They don't understand. In fact, in the book of Mark, it happens three times where he foretells of what's going to happen prior to them getting there. And each time, it, it has a f- same basic outline or skeleton to it, that the Son of Man must suffer. Number two, that the Son of Man will be killed. And number three, after three days, the Son of Man will be resurrected. In verse 31... Sorry, I lost my place there. It says, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he was killed, after three days, he will rise. That's specific. The disciples don't understand in verse 32, it says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. This is now the second time. Do you wonder why they didn't ask him what were they afraid of I've got to imagine that they're afraid of if something bad happens to the master what does that mean for me because I don't know if you're like me but I tend to uh, interpret things on how it's going to affect me and I got to see these guys in the same place And the fact that Jesus has brought it up twice, now in a little over a chapter, they they probably remember the first time. And the second time is, ooh, Master's teaching us something here. So he's going to die, and after three days he's going to rise. I want us to chew on a few words in verse 31, though. It says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Delivered. Delivered up, or handed over is another way of translating this. Think about this. He is going to be delivered or handed up to his own creation in order to be put to death. If that's not mind-blowing enough, who is the one going to be doing the delivering? He who lives as a man among men a human among humans will be rejected by them. 
In fact, the one who gives himself for others will die at their hands. But this isn't off script, is it? In fact, this was written hundreds of years before by the prophet Isaiah. And I think we should all go back to, at least in our minds, Isaiah 53. In verse 6, it says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then later in verse 12, it says, And he would pour out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Here, in, in uh, Mark 9, 31, he is going to be delivered. Somebody is actually going to hand him over. It's none other than God the Father doing the handing over for our iniquity, according to script, in the way that it was put into black and white greater than 500 years earlier. That's mind-blowing. But it says that they did not understand, and they were afraid to ask him. Again, it's not that the disciples are dumb, okay? Now, we do question their intelligence from time to time, but you, if you question my intelligence from time to time, too. I understand that. It's not that they, they, they couldn't comprehend what the words meant. It was that the meaning or what he was driving at was so foreign to them. It didn't match up with their theology. It didn't match up with their eschatology. It didn't match up with their Israelology. How could the anointed one of God be killed by mankind? It, it, it floored them and it causes them to be afraid. Again, there are times when the master wants to get us alone wants to teach us something and we're probably not going to get it the first time but he's patient let's see how the the rest of the chapter goes in verse 33 and they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house he asked them what were you discussing on the way what were you discussing on the way he's a good teacher right they're walking it's miles upon miles that they're walking it's it's taking them a day or so he hears what's happening. Mom, dad, you're on vacation. You're driving the car, right? You know what's going on in the back seat. If you were like me on my trip to Florida with my parents, I was doing one of these, dodging my father's hand as he's reaching for a knee, any knee he can get. He doesn't care. He's looking for a knee, and it's not going to be pleasant when he gets that knee. My kids know the knee grasp. They don't look forward to it. He understands what they're talking about. This question is great. He says, what were you guys talking about? And they're like, um, you know, it's like when teacher asks a question, just generally to the class. You guys do it too. I, I've had you in class. You just stare at the ground going, uh, I hope he doesn't make eye contact with me. I hope he doesn't. Make... It's one of those type situations. Because they're embarrassed. It says that they were discussing or they were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. This question is great. It's not as if Jesus doesn't know what they're talking about and what they were arguing about. It reminds me of when God entered the garden after Adam had sinned. He asks Adam, hey, Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know. What did Adam say? Uh, I'm hiding. Yes, yes, I know that. Yes. Same type situation here. He knows what's happening but he doesn't chastise them. I want to, as we go, as we transition uh, into the next verses, he doesn't get upset. He understands that they're jockeying for position. And again, back to 
our intro back to our quick review of what's just happened, perhaps they were lining up a pecking order. Uh, well, Peter, James, and John did go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the rest of you were left behind. And then when we came back, you guys couldn't deliver that, the, the, the demon from the child. So perhaps they were arguing, oh yeah, well I did this, and I got the master that. And they were arguing over who is the greatest in the kingdom. And the teacher, our teacher, he sits them down in verse 35, and he calls the 12 to them and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So that section that we just came from, I had entitled human exaltation. Initially, we had godly humiliation. Here we have human exaltation, where I've got to fight my brothers and my sisters to get higher, to step on those to get higher up. But as the master teacher, he's going to jump upon the situation. He's going to teach them. He's going to even give them an illustration. That's the third section later when we get there. He sits them down and he calls them and he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Please see with me right here that Jesus does not chastise them, degrade them, yell at them, scold them, whatever it might be, for their desire to be great. He doesn't say, hey, if you're going to be a follower of me, push all of that to the side. Instead, he redefines greatness. They said, I want to be great. Who is the greatest? And instead, he's going to show them and teach them how to be great. We all have a desire within us to aspire to something. We, we desire our lives to mean something more than just consuming resources and then going back into the ground in which we came. And the Lord doesn't chastise that. Instead, he says, look it, here. You want to be great? Be servant of all. Be servant of all. Be last of all. Step back. Doesn't sit well. Very simple concept. Anybody ever tried to be last of all? Anybody ever tried to be servant of all? It's not easy. People get in the way. They're the problem, not me. That's the way that that's the way I argued out in my head, at least, right? I'd be really good if it weren't for other people. The Lord doesn't allow that. For all means all with no exceptions. It doesn't mean, well, I could, I could serve all except for my brother or my coworker or my boss or my coach. All means all. We're to serve all, but here and now, in our day and age, a person is seen, a, a great person is seen as having Many people serve them. Isn't that, isn't that how we judge how great a person is? By how many servants, how many people report into them? Um, things haven't changed. It was the same back in Greek culture when, when this was being written. People looked down upon servants and service at all. And In fact, it was even Plato that pined, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? I think the juxtaposition, big word, sorry, the putting alongside of each other 
the first three verses, 30 through 32, and these verses is purposeful by the Holy Spirit, we see Jesus' humiliation and we see man's attempt to exalt himself. And And Jesus is saying, in my economy, in the kingdom economy, things are reversed from the way they are down here. And that should make sense to us if we step back and look at the Bible and the entire story of the Bible. For God created all of this and proclaimed it to be good, but man broke it. And therefore, it would make sense that things down here aren't the same as what they are in reality in heaven or in the kingdom. That they're the exact opposite. So Jesus says, you want to be great? Good. Become last. Serve everyone. Let's move on. And in here, we're going to see a practical application or an illustration here. In verse 36, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Okay, he took a child. He's using an illustration. And I think because of the way that life is in our world, we we have to kind of expound upon this illustration here. Why would he use a child? Well, back in that day, Infant mortality rate was very high. In fact, most, most children that were born didn't live beyond the age of five. Therefore, the sentimentality that we place upon our children wasn't there until a certain age when the child would have arrived. And it was usually after the age of five. And the thinking more along the lines was, well, why invest in something that may not be there tomorrow? So the way that we look at our children is not, probably not the same way that they looked upon theirs. So he takes a child, a least of them, and a picture of somebody that shouldn't even be around the men, especially the adult men. A little child was not considered significant. A little child couldn't do anything for a man? Think about that. Is there any way in which my children enrich my career? Is there any way, we're going to use Thompson kids here, is there any way that my children enrich my portfolio? In fact, in our world, it's actually a negative when it comes to the financial side, right? Well, they've got braces, they've got glasses that don't stay on their head. They need footwear that seems to be changing daily. The styles with with the others, you don't know what they're going to wear, and it's probably not appropriate, so you're going to have to go out and get something else. There is no way in which my children get me a higher status. But it's a great illustration. I think on a few points. In verse 36 it says that he took a child and put him in the midst of him. That shows us that Jesus had access to children. 
And it appears, I know it's truncated right here, and we're not getting the whole picture of what actually happened. It appears that children were willing to go to Jesus. In a day and age when most men wouldn't have children around, nor would they be accessible to children. See, Jesus says to them, if you receive one of these, you're receiving me, not only me, but the one who sent me. That word receives can also be translated for us to mean to take with the hand, to take up, to grant access to, to embrace, to sustain, to make one's own, or on the negative side, to be not rejected by. And again, the master, the good shepherd, the teacher is illustrating this to them. Not only does he take a child and just spin him around, but what does the word say? He took a child and put him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms. Go back to, to the definitions of receive. Receives, again, means to take with the hand, to take up, to grant access to, to embrace, to sustain, to make one's own. Jesus, in bringing the child to them, putting them in the midst, has already scooped up the child, bringing the child into his arms. He has properly received the least, the lowest, the insignificant, inconsequential. I think your testimony might be the same as mine. And that I too and the least. I too am inconsequential. I too can do nothing to his status of who he is. I get myself into trouble when I think I do bring value to him. Again, that he, he made a good decision when he chose me on his team. That arrogance runs deep in me. Folks, Jesus is showing them, you want to be great? Good. Do this. Seek those out that are inconsequential. Seek those out that can't help you. They can't return the favor. Seek those out, those guys that uh, borrow the tool and then break it and then say, hey, it was like this when I got it. Seek out those that are lost. Seek out those that the Father desires. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Do we get that there? Receives me. So as we receive the least, we receive, or another way of translating, we are not rejected by Jesus. We are sustained. We are embraced. We are granted access to the Father. As we receive the least, we are accepted by Jesus and granted access to the Father. He is our mediator, we're told elsewhere. Oh, praise the Lord. All right. So what? What does all this mean? They tell us in sports, seek out somebody that's better than you and imitate them. Who's the greatest? Well, the answer is Jesus. Well, then we need to imitate him. He 
humiliated himself. He subjected himself to his own creation and was obedient even to the death on the cross we read in Philippians, correct? Let me read it to you. Who, speaking of Jesus, made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you see the order there? Christ humiliated himself. He humbled himself and then God exalted him, giving him a name above every name. I tried to jump the order and I want to skip that humiliation part and get right to the exaltation. There was a commercial about a few years ago about investments, I think it was, and it shows a, a college student um, walking off the stage, meeting up with his parents after graduation, and they're like, so what are you going to do? He's like, hey, I've looked at that whole work thing. I'm going right to retirement. <laughs> and that's our mindset. Skip the humiliation, get right to the exaltation. But our master didn't do that. He didn't skip that step. That was his mission. So, what do we do? Well, if we want to be the greatest, imitate him. We imitate him by serving who? All. Others. Every others. We serve all, without exception. And this is where you're like, hey, Chad, wow, that's hard. Yes, it is. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to say that I've mastered this, folks. You know me well enough. Jesus condensed the law and the prophets down into two commands. Do we remember what they were? When he was asked, hey, uh, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. All of this condensed down to love God and love others. How are we doing right now? How are you doing right now? I don't know what that means. We're going to keep going. All right. For those, <laughs> lights went out. Didn't know what was happening. Mic drop, walk off the stage, right? How, how are we doing at serving others? Please, please understand that I think Pastor Matt gave me this section on purpose for me to learn and for at least me to have this in my sights and in my mind. How are you doing at serving others? How are you doing at serving others offline and online? You coming up with every excuse in the book as to why you can't serve somebody right now? Or are you looking for new opportunities to serve, new ways to serve, allowing the Lord to flow to your, love, to, to your neighbors, to others that, that you just perhaps have forgotten about? And how are we to serve? How are we to serve? In Corinthians, Paul says this, and I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Pause for dramatic effect. Love is kind. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We usually hear that at weddings. And it's like, yes, okay, we got that. Now, folks, if we are truly loving right now, what a message to the world that is not loving right now. What a message to our country, to our leaders, independent of if you think they're good, bad, or whatever. What is that going to do? What is that going to say? So, last question. For those of you, I think this is number four, counting that have problems with threes and stuff like that. Whose greatness are you seeking? Quite humbled standing here talking about all of this when I find myself more times than not arguing with disciples in my head even about who's the greatest. Her master seized upon that moment and said, hey, I like your thinking, but this is what it means, and this is how you do it. Let's pray. Father, your words are heavy this morning. Easy to understand and, and grasp, but Lord, so difficult to put into action. And Lord, I pray that we would show our faith in you by our actions today. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient, that we would be humble, that we would seek to serve those that you've given immediately around us. Lord, I pray that we would seek to serve our church, our congregation, our brothers and sisters here and elsewhere. Oh, Father, please show us our shortcomings. Show us opportunities. Lord, please show us how to love. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring to the attention of each one of us those that are least, those, that we, those ones that we've been overlooking, inconsequential, we don't know their names. Oh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just sit here and leave, leave this here, but we take it home with us. We digest it. Meditate upon it. Make it our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say goodbye to everyone that's been watching on the live stream. Thank you for being with us. And uh, church that is here, please, uh, please stand and we'll, we'll continue in worship this morning.